Do turn with me to the book of Revelation. I have been so eager to get into this book with you, and we begin this morning this new series on this majestic book that draws our Bibles to a close. But I want to begin by asking you a question. What has your experience been of the book of Revelation to date? How have you engaged with Revelation? How's your understanding of the book of Revelation? What's been your experience so far in your life with respect to the book of Revelation? And I imagine that our response to that question will put us into one of three groups. First, there might be the never-readers. Never read it. Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe you're a Christian early in your walk with God, getting to know your Bible, and you've never read the book of Revelation. Well, that's okay. I trust this series will be interesting and will be a helpful introduction to this book and will pique your interest all the more into the riches of God's Word. A second group that might be here we could call the Obsessors. Now, this group is becoming less and less nowadays, but there are some who are absolutely obsessed with the book of Revelation. They see it like a complex puzzle that if you can fit all the prophetic pieces together, you'll be able to almost foretell history. In some extremes, people have even used this book to predict when Jesus will return and how he will return even though Scripture says no one knows the day or the hour of his return. Well, if you're in the obsessor group, I really hope to show you a better way to read this book that will become more faithful to its own setting and more practically fruitful in your day-to-day walk with the Lord. Then a third category where I imagine most of us might find ourselves is the kind of general avoiders. You've perhaps read Revelation, you've skimmed it, but you've never really dived into it to to grapple with its meaning. You've kept the book at arm's length. And now there are understandable reasons why you might have done this. Firstly, the book is difficult to understand. The book of Revelation is full of symbolic images like scrolls, beasts, angels, dragons, a lion that when you look at it, looks like a slain lamb. Numbers are also used symbolically throughout the book, like 144,000, or 1,000, or the number seven. And it can all seem a bit confusing, so we just sort of leave it to one side. A second reason why we can be in the category of avoiders is we just don't know how to read the book. We don't know how it applies to us today. Is Revelation speaking, as some believe, of things that have already happened in the first century? Or is it about things happening in the world now? Or is it about things to to come in the future? We're not sure how we should read it, so again, we just kind of do the ostrich and put our head in the sand with respect to Revelation. But whatever group you find yourself in this morning, as you think about your engagement with Revelation so far, I want to call us all to a fresh, open-minded engagement with this book. 
for those who have never dived into it because it's difficult to understand. I want to begin this morning by giving you a few encouragements to secure your commitment to the book of Revelation going forward. So in a sense, here are three reasons to help encourage us to read and study Revelation. Reason number one. The details in the book may be difficult to understand. We acknowledge that. But the central message is really clear. Revelation, if you will, is a bit like an impressionistic painting. Up close, the details can seem a bit blurry and hard to discern. What do you need to do with an impressionistic painting? You need to take a step back to see the big picture. And let me tell you, the big picture that the book of Revelation reveals is nothing short of stunning. Revelation is in our Bibles to give us a bigger vision of our sovereign God who reigns over all history and whose kingdom will never be defeated. The vision is given to fill us with confidence so that we can live faithful and hope-filled lives as followers of Jesus in this fallen world. Revelation gives us what we need most, a bigger vision of our sovereign, majestic, and holy God who reigns over history. It is not given primarily so that we just speculate about stuff coming in the future. It is given to give us a vision of God And that vision of our unshakable, unchanging, eternal, sovereign, holy, omnipotent God, that is given to give us a sense of stability in history. As As a means of introduction under this point, the central message is clear. Let me just tease that out a little bit, um, what we're to expect when we're going to see this main point of this big vision of a sovereign God to give us confidence to live hopeful lives in history. There are three major themes, really, that run right through the book. First, as I mentioned, the sovereignty, majesty, and power of God. We're going to see this over and over again, and I'm delighted about that because I love to ascribe sovereignty to God. It's my greatest hope that God is sovereign over the world and over my life. The book of Revelation opens with a statement. If you look down at chapter 1, verse 8, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, that's the first letter and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Like, I'm the A to Z. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. That means I am the Lord of history. Then if you were to turn over to the back end of the book, chapter 22, verse 13, you will see the whole book is bookended with this statement because there the Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So here this whole book encapsulated in this sovereign God who says, I'm the beginning and the end. Him who was, who is, and who is to come, the first and the last. You know, seven times 
in the book of Revelation, and the number seven is very significant. We're going to see it speaks of wholeness in the book of Revelation. It's a symbolic number, like the seven days of the creation week. God creates and does all things in seven days, and so throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that number seven is often used to speak of wholeness or fullness. Well, seven times God is referred to in Revelation simply as the one seated on the throne. Just, just listen to them. Revelation 4.9, the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne. 5.1, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. 5.7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. 6.16, Fall us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. 7.15, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. 21.5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So we are going to get in these incoming weeks a bigger vision of the one who is seated on the throne over history the one who is seated sovereignly over the throne of each of our lives. And this vision of his sovereignty is to give us confidence, stability in a turbulent and unsettling world. So that's one big theme we're going to see that is so clear in the book. Second, we're going to see this theme of the reality of tribulation in this fallen world. One of the main goals of the book of Revelation is to set our expectations of what life can really be like in a fallen world. We're going to learn that we should expect to see the rise and fall of nations. We're going to get used to um, expecting war and unrest. There will be seasons of persecution, we are told, martyrdom of believers. There will be worldly seductions that seek to lead Christians astray in this fallen age. And above all, what seems to be clear in the book of Revelation is that there will be increasingly down through history a rising swell of secularism that will want to dilute, drown, and in the end simply wash away the church. So in chapter 1 verse 9, if you look down at it, John refers to himself as your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So tribulation, the call to be patient. And John says, I'm, I'm right here with you in this. In chapter 2, verse 2, in the seven letters, in the letter to Ephesus, the Lord speaks and says, I know your toil and your patient endurance. In 2.9, in the letter to Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty. 2.19, to Thyatira, I know your patient endurance. So one of the things we're going to be taught to expect in our lives and in the world is difficulty. This is given to set our expectations so that we can be ready when hard things come and not caught unprepared or going, what's going on? Whereas... The book of Revelation is equipping you so that when you see what's happening in Israel or in Ukraine or in southern Sudan 
or in lesser documented conflicts, you can say, yes, we've been told to expect this. A third major theme then in the book is just simply glorious, the hope of the new creation and fulfillment of everything promised in Scripture. The way this book ends is just glorious. Revelation 21 and 22 give us the most beautiful picture of the hope that lies ahead for every Christian. In this book, Revelation, we are given a vision of the end of our story to give us hope to keep pressing on in faithful Christian living today when things are hard. In the last two chapters of this book, so many strands of Scripture, so many big themes are tied together in these chapters. I remember I used to go to this show in Armagh, the Armagh show, and there was this fairground game where there were all these strings, and they were all bunched together. And you paid like a pound, and you pulled one of the strings, and a toy would drop out. And if you pulled the right string, you'd get a big toy, and if you probably 99% of the strings, you got a wee rubbishy toy. But the guy used to, with the wind and, and the weather, the strings used to get all a bit sort of disheveled. And he, I used to just see him going along, and he would just run his hand down the strands and pull them all together. And then they would sit um, for the next child to come along. In a sense, Revelation 21 and 22 is like God running his hand down all the strands and themes of biblical theology, and he pulls them all together in the last two chapters, and the fulfillment and the realization of all the promises and all the blessings come together in the most climactic and glorious way. Eden restored, but better than Eden. The blessing promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, fully realized with blessing coming to all nations who are gathered around God's throne. The temple theme that runs right through Scripture from Eden to the new Eden at the end of the book of Revelation. It all comes to a climax with the whole of the new creation being called a temple. We all live in the fullness of the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, a perfect new creation where everyone walks in the light of the Lord. No evil or sin will ever touch it. It's like Teflon coated. Nothing can ever get in and stick on it or, or damage it. There's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And God says, behold, I'm making everything new. Now, why is that in the Bible right at the end? To give you this sense of knowing the end of the story to keep you persevering today. It's not about speculating about getting your charts out and saying it's going to be a rapture here and then there's going to be three and a half years here and then they're all going to come down and then there's going to be a millennial reign. That's all there and we're going to deal with it. But you're not to obsess over that and miss the beauty of the main message. We know the end of the story, so keep going, faint-hearted believer. That's the message at the heart of this book. So, I said I'm going to give you three encouragements to make you want to get into this book. That's encouragement all number one. What was it? The details may be difficult to understand, but the central message is clear. Sovereignty of God, reality of difficulty, incredible hope because we know the end of the story. I hope that encourages you to want to engage with this book all the more. Here's a second reason or a second encouragement uh, to help us want to get into this book all the more. A promise of blessing is attached to taking this book seriously. 
Now, though blessing is promised in reading every book of the Bible, this is the only book where specifically and explicitly we're told that there's a great blessing for those that commit themselves to this book. The promise begins the book. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So that's Chris this morning got to read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear, it's all of us, and who keep what is written in it. And that's where the question's asked, will that be all of us? Not just reading, not just hearing, it's about understanding and it's about keeping it, living in light of it, receiving the goodness of it. Not just being hearers, but doers of the word. So there's a promise of blessing at the beginning of the book. Nancy Guthrie, who has written a really helpful um, little study on the book, I brought it with me just to hold it up and show you. Blessed, Experiencing the Promise of the Book of Revelation. This is a really accessible book if you wanted to read along as we go through this series. She has written in her introduction, would I ever say that there's a blessing from God that I'm not really interested in receiving? Well, no, you wouldn't if you're a Christian. And so we want to be those who respond and say, yeah, I want the blessing that comes with reading and studying and engaging with the book of Revelation. This promise of blessing doesn't just open the book, it also ends the book in Revelation 22.7. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This is one of the main things that came to my mind when I was studying Revelation and looking at it as a mountain in front of me and thinking, can we tackle this mountain? And then I read about the blessing and I just thought, as your pastor, I want us to experience the blessing attached to reading and hearing and keeping what's revealed in this book. For too long, the book of Revelation has been put on a shelf, sort of thought it's too difficult to understand or too controversial to understand. And so we're perhaps missing out on some of the blessing that comes from reading and studying this book. Let me ask you a question. Do you not long for God's blessing? That should certainly make you want to engage with reading and understanding and living out what's in this book. So that's a second encouragement for why we should give ourselves to this series. Then there's a third encouragement. We need the hope that this book gives in every age. This book is here to fortify our hope by saying to us, no matter how bad things may get, there's a bright future ahead for those in Christ. We're to live in light of that truth. To help illustrate what I mean, I was away um, a few years ago in 2016 when Ireland first beat New Zealand in rugby. I tried to avoid hearing the score, but as I opened the replay video, I saw it. But it totally changed how I watched the game. I watched the game and I already knew that in the end, the team that I was committed to would win. So no matter how aggressive the All Blacks looked, no matter how many mistakes Ireland made, no matter how unlikely victory looked, I knew that it would be okay because I knew that in the end, Ireland would win. This book says to us loud and clear, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter how bad it may look or hopeless it may look, in the end, the Lamb wins. Live in light of that hope. 
It's, it's invincible. The Lord is invincible. His purposes are invincible. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can change it. In the end, the new heavens and the new earth will be our reality if we're in Christ. That is the hope that this book gives. No matter how dark it gets, we look to the horizon and we know that something's sure. There's a day coming when we will feast and weep no more. Derek Thomas, uh, the Welsh pastor and theologian, has said Christian discipleship is to be worked out within the context of the assurance of victory rather than the prospect of defeat. This is such a wonderful hope. No matter how bad Israel and Gaza's war is, no matter how entrenched the war in Ukraine is, or more personally, no matter how lonely I get, or anxious or depressed we can be, no matter how confused we are with God's ways, in the end, we know, as Revelation 11:15 says, one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. One day there be no longer anything accursed. We, the servants of God, will see his face. Night will be no more. We'll need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be our light, and we will reign forever and ever. There is so much here for us. So many encouragements to get stuck into studying this book. A majestic vision of the sovereignty of God. A promise of blessing and hope that we all need in every age. Now, with that introduction in place, anytime I'm introducing a series, I love to give some introduction and overview, but I love to also get stuck in straight away to some exposition of the first few verses. So that's what we're going to do because there's so much in these introductory verses that actually deals with the themes of the book as a whole. So what we're going to do now with that introduction in place is we're going to just look at the first three verses to get our bearings to help us know what to expect. And we're going to ask a few questions of the first few verses. The plan going forward is to take three weeks, this week, next week, and the week after, uh, to study the introduction of the book. Then, believe it or not, we're into the Sundays of Advent. So we're going to pause the series, and then that leaves us in a really good position to pick up the beginning of the seven letters, um, the, or the seven churches, sorry, the letter that is addressed to seven churches. So early in the new year, we'll get straight in to progressing right through the whole book, uh, starting with the uh, study on the seven churches, and we're going to take a week for each of those churches, um, and hopefully that will be helpful. So, uh, four questions to help us get our bearings uh, with the book as we look at the first three verses. Uh, number one, what is the book of Revelation? Well, most simply, if you look down at verse one, you'll see it is a revelation from God that centers on the glory of Jesus Christ. Verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. Now, the word revelation in Greek is apocalypsis. Apocalypse. It means to unveil or uncover something previously hidden. So the book of Revelation is not supposed to be a closed book in which we cannot uncover any meaning or truth. It's an unveiling of God's purposes for his world. It's supposed to be understandable and helpful, but we need help to understand it. And that's why God has, has given us teachers, given us togetherness, a sense of working together to understand this book. Notice it is called the revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave him. The Father shares his purposes with Jesus eternally. Then in the second part of verse 1, we read, He, Jesus, made it known. So he made known what the Father made known to him eternally by sending his angel to his servant John. John, we're told, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is to all that he saw. So in chapter 1, verse 11, we see that John is told then to write down what you see in a book and send it out to the seven churches. Now, the fact that it's seven churches seems to tell us that that's not just for those seven churches in that historical moment. It's for the the whole church, the universal church in every age. So as we study the letter or the the writing uh, that was sent to the seven churches, it all applies to us today if we understand it rightly, because it's written to every church in every age in some ways. But this letter is not just from Jesus Christ, so the revelation of Jesus Christ, it means yes, it comes from Jesus Christ, but it also is a revelation of Jesus Christ, as in Jesus and his glory is the glory that is being revealed throughout this book. Some of the names for Jesus in the book are just wonderful. I think there's something like 37 or 38. Let me just give you a sample of them. Names for Jesus. So what I'm arguing here is that the revelation of the glory of Jesus is central, so we should expect to see lots of names that tell us something about the glory of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 5. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. 113, he is called one like a son of man. 117, he's the first and the last, the living one, the one who was dead but who is alive forevermore. In chapter 5, verse 5, he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And we're going to be touching on that this evening um, because Judah steps forward as a mediator to save Benjamin in Genesis 44. And we're going to see how that Judah points ultimately to the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In 5, 6, then Jesus is called the Lamb who was slain. In chapter 22, 16, he's called the bright morning star. Isn't that beautiful? The, 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 the darkness is always darkest just before the dawn. This goes the song. And you get this morning star, star that gives the sailors hope dawn's going to break. And Jesus is the bright morning star, the symbol of hope in this dark and fallen world. And he says that right at the end. I'm the bright morning star. I'm coming soon. Hold on. So the book is given to help us appreciate on a whole new level the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second question we want to ask, why was the revelation given? Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This revelation is given to help the church of Jesus Christ understand the kinds of things they will experience until Christ returns to bring the fullness of his kingdom. In rugby every now and again, a player can be blindsided by a tackle. Sorry for all these rugby illustrations. I probably should have tried to mix it up a bit. You can be running in rugby and you just don't see it coming. Someone smashes you and you weren't ready for it, you weren't braced, and it absolutely buckles you. But then if you do see it coming, you brace and you dip your shoulder so you can bounce them now. I didn't know much of that in my rugby career, but 
but you brace yourself so that the impact doesn't knock you flying. The book of Revelation, in a sense, it's, it's given to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It's here to set our expectations, to let us know you're going into a collision with this present evil age as a Christian. The kingdom of God is meeting the kingdom of Satan. You're going into a pretty aggressive tribulation. You're going to get knocked around. You've got to brace yourself. You've got to ready yourself. You've got to set your expectations. Otherwise, you're going to get absolutely blindsided. And then you'll, be, you'll doubt God. You'll get blindsided. You won't have a theology of suffering or tribulation. And you'll just say, God can't be good if he's letting all this happen to me. You'll have no theology of suffering. So this book is given to give us a theology of tribulation. The reality of life in a fallen world. Now, it's not all grim we're going to see. There is great joy. There's great hope. There's great peace in believing. But if you think it's all, if becoming a Christian means just a primrose path that you'll skip through happily in life, you either haven't lived long enough or you're dreaming. We all know we've got stress and strains. Life is difficult. And I think it's so helpful that the book of Revelation just says, yep, that's what you should expect. But there's incredible hope. So it's here to set our expectations. So that's a what and a why. How? How was the revelation given? Well, it would be largely shown to John by apocalyptic visions. Notice the language that's used here in chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and then verse 11. Verse 1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must soon take place. Verse 2, John was to bear witness to all that he saw. Chapter 1, verse 11, John was to write in a book everything he would see. So what we should expect, or one of the characteristics of this genre of writing in the Bible, apocalyptic prophecy, one thing we should expect is the use of signs and visions to convey heavenly perspectives on history. The ESV in verse 1 says, God made known these things. That word can literally be translated, God symbolized or signified the things that would be. So what we should expect as we proceed are lots of symbolic images and symbolic numbers. This is heaven's perspective on earthly history, revealed in such a way that it should grip the reader and have a deep impact. It's like the images are like a caricature that you'll see in a newspaper. That's the image, in a sense, speaks the message. We should expect from a heavenly perspective, think of it, from the heavenly perspective, all things are seen, visible and invisible. You should see angels and demons and world powers acting on behalf of Satan in different ways. You're going to see from a heavenly perspective signs that all convey something about reality. Sometimes we're told what the symbols mean. So in chapter 1, verse 20, we're told John's given a vision of seven lampstands. And we're told that the seven lampstands represent the seven churches. It's really helpful. So there's a, there, he's going to see these lampstands, and they're signifying seven churches. In chapter 19, verse 8, we read of white linen that is given to the saints. And we're told that the white linen represents the righteousness of the saints. In 22, we're told, we see an ancient serpent 
And we're told that the ancient serpent signifies the devil. But sometimes we're not told what the symbols represent. We're left to figure that out by a careful consideration of context and by drawing on how the Old Testament is often the source of those symbols. You read the whole thing within the context of the whole of Scripture. You'll save yourself a major headache. So in a book such as this, most of the things that are about to unfold that we're going to explore over the next months, they're not to be taken literally. References to lions, lambs, beasts, women, numbers like 666, they're all symbolic and they refer to another set of realities. And when you understand that 777 is the Trinitarian number of wholeness and you start to see 666, oh, it's incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. It's a, it's a counterfeit. The, the, you're gonna, we're going to meet a beast and these false prophets and, and they, they try to almost be like a false trinity. And what's their number? 666, of course it is. Because that's incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Will not satisfy, will not satisfy, will not satisfy. Whereas God satisfies. And you begin to understand these things. You're not looking then for tattoos of 666 on people's foreheads or chips that go into your wrist. You start to realize, no, no, no. There are meanings within the book that give us the understanding of how to read it and what to expect. So I think our reading principle should be this. Interpret symbolically unless you're forced to interpret literally. There are some things you read literally in this book, but we're told right at the, at the beginning there's going to be visions shown to John and they're going to signify other things. So read symbolically unless you're forced to interpret literally. I mentioned there briefly in passing that the word seven is symbolically used throughout the book. And it's actually interesting that one of the ways to structure the book of Revelation can be to see seven sets of seven visions. Now, I wouldn't die on the hill for this structuring, but it definitely convinces me. Um, you have a prologue, an introduction that we're looking at, and you have um, the address to seven churches, and you see seven seals that get opened, unveiling um, the redemptive purposes for the world. Then you get a kind of action replay of that, seven trumpets that speak again of what we should expect in world history. Then we're given seven visions as a kind of interlude. Then you see seven bowls, again, of wrath poured out, and it helps you understand what's going on in history. Then seven final judgments, seven last things before we get an epilogue. So we're gonna see symbolism throughout this book and it's really important that we understand how to read it. So why was Revelation given? To show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Finally then, in what way should Revelation affect us? Well, very simply, we should be blessed and stirred with a robust and hopeful anticipation of the future. So, that's all very, very introductory. It's a wee bit all over the place, but I wanted to get a bit all over the place this morning to excite us all in different ways about what we can expect going forward. How do I want us to respond to this message this morning? I just want to ask you to do one thing. In your heart, if you're a Christian, ask just now for the blessing that is promised you for engaging with this book. 
ask that God would fill your heart with hope through these studies in Revelation. Ask that God would open your eyes to help you see wonderful things in his word. And pray that God would would just stir your heart with new hope so that when you watch the news or tomorrow when you wake up and you go into work and someone pulls you aside and says, could I talk to you? And they tell you about the mistakes you've made. Or you see just difficulty and heartache in your family or whatever tomorrow looks like for you. That as we read and let the vision of Revelation soak into every part of our hearts and minds, pray that whatever then happens tomorrow, you'll wake up with that vision burning brightly in your heart. I know that in the end, it's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna be okay. And I can rest in that today, no matter how hard it is. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would really encourage you to open your heart this morning to what you might learn in this book because there is a beautiful vision of the hope of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your future can be bright if you trust in Christ. So I would encourage you to journey with us in these studies and let's look to the Lord so that we would enjoy that righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit that we have been created to live in the goodness of. Let's pray. Father, we've covered quite a bit of ground there in this introduction. Reasons to get stuck into Revelation, this great vision of your sovereignty, this promise of blessing, the hope that is fortified in us. We know that there are challenges in this letter, in this book, but we pray, Lord, as week by week we just break it down into bite-sized chunks as we try to faithfully read it, understand what it meant in its original context, and then apply it to our lives today. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'd do great things in our midst. We pray together, not just individually, but that you would bless us as a corporate body, bless us as a church family, as we engage with this book. You've promised that blessing, Father, and we ask in Jesus' name that we would enjoy your blessing as we study your word, as we hear it, and as we strive to keep it and live in light of it. Oh Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to stand together and praise the name of the Lord our God who gives us such hope. Let's stand and sing together.
to shine on you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, please do stick around for refreshments at the back if you're able to. And uh, do remember, we're going to be setting up at some point for the newcomer's lunch. So if you see some movement uh, around in different places...